Welcome to the Newport Church Sermon of the Week podcast. Newport Church is a non-denominational, spirit-filled church, part of the Dove International Apostolic Network of Churches and Ministries. We are located between Mannheim and Lidditz in northern Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. We look forward to seeing you. And now, here is today's message. the children. The children, you can go ahead and go to Sunday school. We're doing things a little bit different here this morning than we normally do, but we want to move with the Lord. So the worship team is just going to stay up here for a moment. Natalie, if you can just keep playing. Amen. Father, we thank you for the children, for this generation of young firebrands. God, you can just extend your hand to the children as they go. Father, we thank you for your grace and your anointing. We thank you that they will encounter you, encounter your word, encounter faith in the stories that you have given us in your word and scripture. We thank you for life. We thank you for life callings awakened in the name of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord, for your goodness to our children, to the children's ministry workers and volunteers today. Bless them. Bless them this morning in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And everyone said, amen, amen. Awesome. Uh, let's just pray for our youth. They're just getting back from EMT as well. So if you notice, there, there, a few of you guys are here, but there's, yeah, they. anyone here from EMT, sorry, with the lights on, it's hard to see. Anyone here? Jordan, Jaden, you're here. Anyone else here? Yeah, okay. I see a hand. I, I'm sorry, I can't see who you are with the lights. But... Did you have a good time? Yeah? All right. We're going to be hearing some testimonies from, from them in a week or two. I hear from the youth group as they're just getting back uh, now from evangelism missions training that happened this week. And, of course, being a part of the Send yesterday. So, yeah. Anyone else at the Send yesterday? A few? Okay. A few of you. Awesome. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you that you draw near to us and you give us the opportunity to draw near to you. So we take that opportunity, God. We take the opportunity provided by your grace and the cross to surrender, yield, and draw near. We just ask you to rule in our lives, rule in Newport Church, reign in this place this morning. Jesus, we love you. We love you, God. We love you, Lucy. We love you, Lord. Ah, you're so good. You're so good. Thank you for making room for the Holy Spirit to just move among us here today, guys. Just we can't push past him. We can't push past him. This morning, the title of my message is Walking in the Power of God and the Presence of God. Walking in the Power of God. 
God promises us, Jesus promises us in this, in John chapter 7, verse 38 to 39. He says, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, other translations say, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. This, verse 39, he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit had not yet been given, but Jesus was, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So the promise of God, and we know that his glorification was his death and resurrection on the cross and his ascension into heaven, amen? Yeah? And then, and then oh, he sends the Holy Spirit. We know that in Acts chapter 2. So we, we stand positionally in time beyond this moment, but the promise is for us. The promise is for you, it's for me. That as you believe, rivers of living water, tell your neighbor, say rivers of living water, streams of living water would flow out of your heart. Have you ever had, um, like, I mean, it's the summer and, and I'm sure some of you have been like watering plants or watering flowers or something. And you take a hose that doesn't have any water in it or doesn't have any water pressure and it's kind of flat and kinked and, and kind of just like maybe laying in a circle or hanging on a loop or in, in one of those twirly box things, you know. And like what happens when, when you connect it to the source, when you connect it and you turn it on, is all of a sudden the hose fills up. Not only does the hose fill up, but then it waters other things. And that's what you and I are. That's, that's what you and I have an opportunity is that as we believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us, makes his home in us. And listen, the Holy Spirit is God. We know that. But I just, we need to reiterate that. He is God the Spirit. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. He is God. Amen. And so when, when he makes his home in us, when he dwells in us, everything else has to move. Every other preference, every other desire has to get out of the way of the desire of the Holy Spirit in our lives, which is to bring us close to the Father and to create in us the image of Jesus, the image of the beautiful one, right? So that's where the Holy Spirit comes and he fills us, but then he waters others through us. He waters others through us. This, this spring, this wells up inside of our hearts and makes us full, you know, like a plump hose, right? Like some of, some of us are more plump than others, right? You know, like a plump hose, right? We, we got filled up with the Holy Spirit and then we're able to water others as well. We're able to flow and let the Holy Spirit move through us and water others. And that's what the desire of God is for each and every one of our lives. That's his desire. I don't know about you. I, I desire his desire. Amen. Anybody else with me on that? Like, I, I desire his desire. Man, I mean, I've, I, 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 I haven't, like... <laughs> I haven't done what some other people have done, but I recognize wholeheartedly, and I'm talking about like living in brokenness and all that kind of stuff, and, and there's no, that's not a proud statement by me. That's a place of just saying, 
I need Jesus as much as the most broken person needs Jesus, right? Yeah? And so, like, I desire his desire for my life. I, I, I know where following my own desires leads. I know the emptiness by which following my own desires brings me to. And it's not worth it. Anyone else recognize that in life? Like, his way is the best way. His way of life is the best way to live. It's the best way to have unity, peace, the governance of the Lord in our own lives. Tell your neighbors, say, rivers of living water. Out of his heart, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Sometimes we stop up the flow because of insecurity, because of inconvenience, because of fear, what other people would say, fear of man, which is really just pride packaged in false humility. And we stop the flow. Out of your belly. How many of you believe in Jesus this morning? Come on. Amen. All right. Right? All right. Out of our bellies, out of our hearts, the promise of God is that out of your heart will flow a river. Ah, God, out of our hearts would flow a river, the river of the Holy Spirit, moving in and through our lives, filling us and watering others. That's God's heart. That's God's promise over your life. That is God's promise over, the, over your life. If the devil has told you that you cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit, it's a lie from the pit of hell. If the devil has told you you're not good enough to minister to other people, it is a lie from the pit of hell. It's not us. Paul goes on to say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse, verse 1, and we heard the, I heard this scripture last night, and I'm like, oh, that's in my notes to preach this morning. I was like, yes, God. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom. Paul's saying, I didn't come with prose and excellence of speech that would cause you to fall in love because of the strength of the, and my verboseness or whatever. I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom. Listen, wisdom is good, but it's not enough to save us. We can die wise. We can go to hell wise. Not if you believe in Jesus. But do you understand? Like wisdom doesn't save. Wisdom is good, but it doesn't save. Did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Michael Koulianos talked about this last night at the Sands. So I'm just going to take like two minutes here and just reiterate that. It's interesting that Paul highlights here, I don't want to know anything else among you except Jesus and him crucified. Why, Why does he add explicitly his crucifixion? 
because that is the doorway through his glorification. That is what he leads us into, that each one of us, as we pick up our cross, as we deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow him. See, that's what, that, that's what, what does it mean to follow Jesus? It means to deny yourself and to pick up your cross and follow him. It, it's not just that Jesus makes us like a better version of ourselves. No, we, we die. That's what, that's what, when we baptize, that's what baptism is. It is a symbol of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It's, it's us dying to our old life. Merle is dead. It's not Merle is, is you know, become a better person. No, Merle is dead, right? And resurrected in him, in Christ. And it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. It's no longer Matt who lives, it's Christ who lives in him. It's no longer Hannah who lives, it's Christ in her. Amen? It's Christ in us, in Mike, in Natalie, the hope of glory. Amen? So when we walk with one another as brothers and sisters and we link arms together, I, I, I mean, I, I love your personality. I'm sure it's wonderful. Maybe. So, you know, like, I know it's as wonderful as mine, <laughs> you know, like, and, and mine stinks some days. So, like, but it's, it's what are we linking arms with? Not with the personalities, not with, we are linking arms with faith of God, with the purposes of God for our generation and for the world. <laughs> For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. But in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and of power. What is Paul saying? He says, your faith is an encounter faith. My faith is a faith of encounter. It's not a faith of mental ascent. It is a faith of encounter. He goes on to say here, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The power of God. Listen, the wisdom of men might be good. It might teach us how to run finances. It might teach us how to have good relationships. Psychology might be good and helpful, but it's, there's no saving substance in it. It is only the power of God that can set free and deliver and heal and bring salvation. It is only His power. And for too long... As a church, we have been devoid of the power of God. We have been void of it. And I, I, I'm not yelling at the church. I hear my heart. But there's more that God has in his heart for our generation than we are currently living up to. And that's not a, a statement of guilt or shame. That's just a recognition of the reality that I find myself in. Oh God, 
break our hearts for the things that break your heart, God. I feel like for years my heart is mourning because having seen God move, I never want to go back. My heart breaks, and I look for the day when my morning will be turned into joy. But as of now, God's heart is breaking for a generation. region that can be so bound up by the way this is what intercession looks like oh God see God does not want us to live a powerless version of Christianity can I say that again God doesn't want us to live a powerless version of Christianity. And I'm not talking about treating God like a genie, like, you have a miracle, and you have a miracle, and you have a miracle. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the reality of the kingdom of God in our lives. The reality of his presence walking with us, divine wisdom, understanding, strategy, divine gifts that minister his kingdom life to people. And they come away indescribably touched by God because we're just yielded vessels. Is this okay? Is, is this okay? I just need your affirmation sometimes. <laughs> I don't crave it. I just need to know that there's other people who are hungry and I know you are it's, it, the promises of God in Isaiah chapter 29 verse 13 and 14 God says this through the prophet Isaiah he says therefore the Lord said in as much as these people listen I'm, I'm not uh, pronouncing this as like you know I'm not saying that Newport is these people okay uh, but we can learn from where Israel was at amen all right and I'm not saying that the people of this region are this. I, I, what I'm saying is that, God, what you did there, do here. Isaiah 29, verse 13 and 14. Inasmuch as these people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. God recognizes that their fear toward him is taught by the commandment of men, by the doctrine of men, by the wisdom of men. It goes on, verse 14. He doesn't say, I will come and strike you. No. <laughs> what does he say? He brings a promise. He says, therefore, behold, I will again do a marvelous work among this people. God's heart is that people, every one of us, lives in the encounter of his presence. 
Therefore, behold, I will again do a marvelous work among this people, a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hidden. In other words, God says, I am going to come, and I am going to encounter them, and I'm going to do it in such a way that, that, the false, that, that building lives just on the wisdom and knowledge and understanding of men will actually fail. That's where we go back to the first scripture we read where that, that I want to make sure I don't misquote it. For the second scripture, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 1 to 5. But Paul says in verse 5 that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. Now listen, I love theology. I, 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 I have given my life to living in Scripture, right? But, it's, it, but understanding, just understanding how God works is not enough. It is allowing Him to work, encountering His power in our lives through surrender and yieldedness and brokenness before Him. That's good preaching, bro. Come on. <laughs> God promises to bring an encounter with himself, but to do it in such a way that will cause the wisdom of man to perish. That's what the word actually says there. It says that the wisdom of men will, will perish. In other words, it's not mental ascent that brings us into a place of encounter with God. It is a faith. We're going to talk about that in a moment. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 5 says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers. You know what slander is? You speak bad against somebody else. Without self-control, brutal despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Verse 5 is what scares me. It says, having a form of godliness but denying its power. I don't want a form of godliness that denies the power of God. Because we're, it's, it's, it's not the form of godliness that saves, delivers, sets free, and heals. It is the power of God that saves, sets free, delivers, and heals. I'm going to have to clean my screen off this one. I'm spitting so much up here. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. And then Paul goes on and says, from such people, turn away. Do you know that we're not supposed to turn away from the world even when they're in their grossest sin? But there are some people that tell, Paul tells us to not have anything to do with and it's the people who have somehow watered down their faith to a point where there's a form of godliness without power. Passion Translation says it this way, but you need to be aware that in the final days the culture of society will become extremely fierce. 
People will be self-centered lovers of themselves and obsessed with money. They will boast of great things as they strut around in arrogant pride and mock all that is right. They will ignore their own families. They will be ungrateful and ungodly. That place there, uh, ignore their own families, because it's a passion translation, is, is like a, an insertion of the Aramaic where the Greek says disobedient to parents. But it, it fills out a little bit here where disloyal to their people, meaning your family, literally translated in persuasible, impersuasible, not compliant, disobedient. Another big word, contumacious. <laughs> I was like, what is contumacious? Contumacious means rebellious, defiant, willful, disobedient. It goes on, say they will be ungrateful. The Aramaic translation of that says rejectors of grace. and ungodly. They will become addicted to hateful and malicious slander. Slaves to their desires, they will be ferocious, belligerent haters of what is good and right. Verse 4. With brutal treachery, they will act without restraint, bigoted and wrapped in clouds of their conceit, and they will find their delight in the pleasures of this world more than the pleasures of loving God. They may pretend to have a respect for God, but in reality, they want nothing to do with God's power. Stay away from people like these. Can I have permission to go on a rant? It's either a rabbit trail or a rant. You decide, right? Like, You'll notice that, uh, I mean, I use the Passion Translation there in context with other scripture, other translations. I just want to say this. You, you'll notice that for me when I'm preaching, I use a lot of translations. All right? A lot of different translations. Ones you may love, others that you might not like. And I say this with the utmost love and respect in my heart. I don't really care. And I... I don't, I don't, God, I'm not doing this well. Um, so why, why do we have different English translations of the Bible? It's because Jesus and the apostles and the fathers of our faith didn't speak English. No, no, really. Like the Sermon on the Mount was in Aramaic, <laughs> which is the street version of language at that time. Filled with like inner city slang. <laughs> It wasn't like a high and lofty language. It was, it was the common language of people. And, and so, and, and, and listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to do an expose on why we should allow the Passion Translation. 
but there's a whole thing out there against stuff. And I, wanna, I just want to explain why it's necessary that we read Scripture in many translations, okay? Because it's, it, and, and you, would, you, you know this when you have friends who their first language isn't English, and you read your Bible, you, maybe you say a verse, and they're like, oh, wow, in the French, you know, maybe because French is their language. They're like, in the French, it actually says it this way. And it's not changing the meaning. It's, it's you, you actually walk away, you know, with a, a little bit more fullness or clarity about what is actually said. You're just like, oh, wow, that's translated that way in that language. That's translated that way in that language. You know, and, and so obviously for us, you know, living on the mission field, for a long time and, and dealing with people from many different languages, like we had these kind of discussions all the time where like, oh wow, in Afrikaans, it's translated this way. This is what it, it means and, and they understand English and Afrikaans. So there's, they're kind of like, oh, okay. And then and we kind of wrestle through those things and, and, and uh, you know, that's why we have multiple translations, and it's important to read Scripture in multiple translations, and not just say, well, it's this way or none other. It's very, because um, different translations are, are based on different source texts. So it's important that we understand, and so what happens is we need, we actually need more translations need the translations specifically translations that are true to the various source material okay we're not talking about some weird thing out there but true to the to the source material because it helps to paint a full picture in our language in our english language of what is being said in the source text if you've ever had a dialogue with somebody about that you, you would understand you know uh, someone from a different language. So, yes, we, we, we need to read Scripture in context, of course, and we need to, but there's value in reading it in the New King James and the NIV and the Message and the Passion Translation, even that. Now, if we're going to be doing doctrinal studies, I don't recommend that you do it in the Message and the Passion Translation. It's more of a thought-for-thought thought translation with influence of other languages. Anyway. Can I finish my rant with that? I, I think that the sad thing is that there's 2,500 languages that do not yet have one translation of the gospel or one translation of the Bible. And that's, our focus should be on building that. Amen? So having said all, it, all, all of this, there are some translations that the translators were clearly anti-women. Yeah, I'm going to go there. Uh, and that seems to have worked its way into their, into their translation and, and, and given certain weight to words in verses about women specifically that actually is not there in the original source texts. Maybe someday, maybe some Sunday we'll do like a whole thing on women in ministry and why we believe what we believe. Um, that bias kind of came into the copying of copying, copying, copying in about the 1300s. So praise God that we have many source texts and many copies of 
translation before the 1300s, from like 300 and, and, and on, right? That all, and, and you don't see this start to come in until, um, until there were some translators who, who clearly were biased in their, in their work, not because of what they, how they translated scripture, but because of other writings that they did, and you see that kind of infiltrate. But pra- praise God is that these translations are actually being corrected. Like that's actually happening. They're going back and they're saying, hey, here's the original source text. It doesn't mean that. So like, you know, like, like when Paul deals with women in ministry, like there, there are so many women in scripture that are upheld as models and that he actually affirms. <laughs> like he actually says, well done. He actually talks about women working side by side with him in the gospel, with him in ministry and preaching, right? And then specifically, of course, there's two scriptures that talk about, you know, women should not speak in the church. And and we're going to, we'll delve, we'll delve into that sometime, but I I trust that, um, many of you understand that we take scripture in the continuity of the whole and we say if there's all of these verses that affirm women in, in leadership and affirm women in ministry now yes the you know the 12 apostles were men right like but like and there's two verses that seem to not then those two verses might be dealing with a specific context within that area amen There's a lot of stuff out there, and, and I, don't, I don't really even want to respond to it as much as I, I believe that Isaiah 29, you know, we started off with that, that as much as these people draw near to me with their mouths and their hearts are far from me, they teach us commandment of men. Behind me, thank you. <laughs> and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear towards me is taught by the commandment of men. In other words, that they haven't had that that intimate, personal encounter, knowledge with the God of the Bible, with the God of Scripture, the life-giving Spirit, the one who calls us to lay down our lives for Him because He gave up His life for us. They haven't had that encounter. It goes on several verses later. In Isaiah 29, verse 20 and 21, it says, For the terrible one, is brought to nothing. So after God says, hey, I'm going to come and encounter these people. I'm going to do it in such a way that the wisdom of their wise men will perish. You know, it's going to be by faith. It's not going to be by understanding and thought. It's going to be by faith. It goes on, verse 20, it says, for the terrible one is brought to nothing. The scornful one is consumed. There's a lot of scorn that happens out there in the world. Don't be afraid by that. It's just the whitewash that happens after God moves. And all who watch for iniquity, you know there's people who watch for iniquity. They're like, oh, you didn't say that right. (laughs) Verse 21, who make a man an offender by a word and lay a snare for him who reproves in the gate. Those who reprove in the gate are leaders. They were the authority of that time. They lay a snare 
for him who reproves in the gate and turn aside the just by empty words. And this is, this is what breaks my heart is not so much that people who, who, you know, they by their own deception have committed themselves to the downfall of others. It's, it's those who get caught in the whitewash of it. The just, people who are good people, who, who wind up like getting pulled out, getting spun out of church, spun out of following God, spun out of different things because of the whitewash, the white water. I, um, I was watching a movie with my son. It was the, uh, we watched the appropriate parts of the first Top Gun movie. And, um, you know, in that there's this, there's this thing where one jet's flying with another and then the one jet hits the jet wash and can't fly anymore and spins out and crashes. And it's, you know, it's the whole plot. But that's, like, that's a real thing. And that's a real thing. When there's a move of God, there's, there's, there's turbulence that's caused. There's whitewash that's caused, not whitewash, white water, you know, to use a different analogy, that's caused. Have you ever been driving on a highway and you get behind a, a tractor trailer and like you, you get, I don't recommend doing this, I'm not even sure that's legal, <laughs> but you get really close and it just kind of pulls you along, you're in the slipstream, yeah? But what happens if you just tease to the side? All of a sudden you hit the turbulence, right? And, and, and so I, I think, not to overplay that analogy, but if, if we start to hit that kind of turbulence, maybe it means we're, we're kind of moving away from the slipstream of God. You know, when you're rafting, you want to stay in the current. Otherwise, you can get spun out in side pools and eddies and get caught in the backwash. It's called the washing machine that pulls your raft actually upriver under rocks. my heart breaks because it's happening to people in our generation because of stuff they've seen stuff they've encountered doubts sowed by the enemy doubts sowed by supposed friends they're good people so that's that's one thank you guys for being troopers and standing up here <laughs> if you stay. I'm, I'm soon going to end so you might as well just stay up here so. <laughs> I was going to dismiss you and then I'm like wait like in 10 minutes they're going to be back up so. <laughs> if you want to grab a chair you can um, so you know getting spun out in the whitewash or the, or the whitewater is, is one kind of one thing that can happen the other thing that can happen is just your passion and your fire is cooled and you can become lukewarm and disinterested like oh, I don't want to stir the pot I don't want to get involved I, I don't want the controversy I don't want all this and, and you can just like kind of bow out and really we just need to bow in get behind get behind the slipstream of Jesus and say God I know, I know that that the kingdom of God manifests on earth is manifested through imperfect people and I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna try and make a, a person an offender by a word, because neither am I, 100% holy and pure all the time either. But I'm gonna stay locked in with you. 
And, and we know this, we say this, we preach this, that like signs, wonders, and miracles and God moving through people is not a divine stamp of approval upon their character. Let me say that again. God, signs and wonders and miracles moving through somebody is not a stamp of divine approval upon their character. It is Balaam's donkey. It is God reaching a people through them. And you understand this when God reaches people through you and you're like, oh God, I'm not worthy. It's not about being worthy. It's about being available. And sometimes, sometimes the only people that are actually available for God to move is the people who have poor character. Sorry, that was getting salty. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5 says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who judges the living and the dead, and who has and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching, not out of anger and frustration. God forgive me. But for there for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears and will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Verse 4, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Myths. <sighs> Having itching ears sorry, verse 5, as for you, always be sober-minded. means know, know yourself. Have a right estimation of who you are. Know your weaknesses. Know your strengths. Know, know, know. be sober-minded. Have a, re, a real perspective of who you are and your humanity and your need for God. Always be sober-minded. Endure suffering and do the work of, a, of a, an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. I want to back up here to the, but having itching ears, they will accumulate from themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And we see this with like the, the those who are caught in gender confusion actually going and, and finding people who will tell them it's okay, who will affirm them and try and do so from scripture. And that's one extreme. The other extreme is where like you have a super ultimate, uh, 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 ultra religious hard, harsh structure. And the crazy thing is, like, people will split hairs with you over a doctrinal point and then go home and beat their wife. Or they'll go home and be uncontrollably addicted to pornography. And they tend to gravitate towards this harsh structure. I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't want to, you know, maybe it's something to do with a religious, I, 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 maybe it's something to do with a religious spirit. I, I don't know. But the thing is this, the, there's many abusers that try and back up in the same way that someone who is completely licentious tries to back up their lifestyle with scripture, there's many abusers who do the same thing. God, help us. How many of you know we need Jesus? Oh God. 
one of the things that God spoke to my heart recently is, um, he said, Merle, there's always white water or jet wash when I move. It's usually caused by, maybe it's a cause uh, by the response of a religious spirit or the response of a political spirit, the power plays to what God is doing. And it stirs up and it's, it's just turbulence. <laughs> it's just white water. It's just jet wash. And if you don't stay in the current slipstream of God, you can get thrown out. You can get spun out. Someone encourages us to stay in God's slipstream. Verse 5 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, But that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It doesn't say through understanding. It doesn't say through wisdom. It says by grace you have been saved. That's the power of God through faith. It says, I don't, I don't, you don't even have to know how God does it. You just need to be surrendered. It, does that make sense? And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't, like, delve in and figure out how God does it. But it's just place that, God, I, I utterly surrender my life to you. I give my life to you. And in that place, like, God's, God's power is released to bring salvation. Amen? God's power is released to bring salvation, it's faith in the power of God's work, not understanding in the power of God's work. It's not bad to understand, but it doesn't save us. Somebody was talking to me the other day, and, and they were dealing with a situation. It wasn't them. They were dealing with a situation where, you know, they were dealing with this hyper-fundamental, like, thing of... of this and gotta believe this and understand this and this and this and, and pretty much sometimes that just goes into like well you can only really be a super a, a good Christian if you have this special knowledge which is just a form of, of modern Gnosticism it's a worship of knowledge and not the worship of God to the point where like well unless you understand all this theological background you can't really be a good you know you're kind of, kind of like a subpar saint I was, I was just talking with them and and in that we we were just discussing this very thing and I said do you do you do you think that like for the last 2000 years every person believed the exact same thing that this select group of people believed Not preaching heresy here. <laughs> what I'm saying is, it's not. It's not by the select knowledge. Now, praise God, we have so many translations and commentaries. We're more blessed than any other people in the face of the earth. In in time, in the face of the earth, to have the wealth of wisdom and knowledge at our fingertips of Scripture. But that's not what saves. What saves is the power of God. And a surrendered life unto Him, walking with Him in in reality and truth. I'm not going to rehash that point. We're saved by God's grace, which is His power given to us at the instantaneous moment that we surrender our lives to Him. Tell your neighbor, say surrender. 
right? You, you've, yeah, you've heard, you've heard me preach the gospel, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he ruled and he reigned over all of his creation. He saw it was good and it worked together seamlessly. All the systems worked together seamlessly. And then Satan led a rebellion against God. Satan deceived mankind, deceived Eve. Then Adam was deceived as well. And they ate of the tree, which God said, don't eat of it. If you do, you're going to die. And Satan came to discredit God and says, you won't die. He's trying to hold out on you. He knows that if you eat it, you're going to be like him. What was the name of that tree? The tree of knowledge of good and evil. So it's not, knowledge doesn't save, it puffs up. So, hear me, I'm not slamming knowledge. We, we need to get knowledge. We need to get wisdom. We need to get understanding, right? Proverbs tells us this. But it's not what saves. Listen, there's, there is people who cannot read, who have a greater understanding of Jesus because of encounter with him than I do. Think about that. And I'm not holding myself up as the standard. I'm just saying, please, <laughs> I'm just saying it's about the power of God and his love for us and his grace towards us. What time are we supposed to end? Let's do it quickly. So how do we not get sucked into the white water? How do we not get sucked into jet wash and get spun out? Mark chapter 12, verse 30 says this. It says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. We make him preeminent in everything. God, we love you with all that we are, with all that we have. We surrender to you, and we love you, God. We set our affection upon your gaze. We set our affection upon you, Lord Jesus. We love him with all of our hearts, all of our strength, all of our will, all of our mind. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 and 9 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. How do you not get spun out? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your, know, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Verse 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate upon these things. You know how we say that in modern English? Chew the meat and spit out the bones. <laughs> the things which you have learned and received and heard me say, or saw in me, excuse me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. James chapter 3, verse 17 says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Galatians chapter 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit, in other words, you don't, and we, we teach this when we talk about the, the gifts and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, you, you don't have to try to bear fruit, right? Like the apple tree's not there like, it's not constipated for apples. 
right? Like there's this place where it just blooms and it just bears fruit. And that's what happens when you have the Holy Spirit leading and guiding your life. You should just bloom and bear fruit. And that fruit, that singular fruit is painted as a picture of all of these words in the English language is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 13 encourages us. It says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. I'm, I'm, I'm finishing up here very quickly. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Let me say that again. Outdo one another in showing honor. Sometimes we've grown up in families and... and I've encountered this in, in, in talking with dear friends from this region where maybe people in your family felt like it was their responsibility to cut you down if they thought you were getting a big head. So they cut your ankles off. what it's done is it's created a generation of insecure followers who then become passive aggressive towards the things of God in other people. And then they feel like it's their job to manage the humility of those around them and try and be the Holy Spirit. It's not just here. <laughs> it's human nature. <laughs> but maybe, maybe that was your family. Maybe that was your encounter. Where you constantly felt under undercut. And you never really knew where you stood. Maybe with your parents, siblings, aunts, uncles. translate into your relationship with God or you never really know where you stand. I, I just, I pray that God heals that this morning. It says, outdo one another in showing honor. That, that's the real picture of how we are to be like, is to outdo one another with showing honor. So it's not my job, Mike, you did a great job leading worship this morning, but Make sure all glory goes to God. How does that leave Mike feel, right? Like, all glory is going to go to God, right? Anyway, sorry, I'll, I'll keep moving. I'll do one another in showing honor. Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal. You guys had a whole sermon series this summer about zeal, living in zeal, staying in zeal. Don't be slothful in zeal. 
we don't use the word slothful or zeal very often in, in our everyday speak, but like it, it means to be lethargic, low energy, jaded, run down, weary, apathetic, dull, sluggish, lacking enthusiasm, half-hearted, and lazy. To be lifeless, listless, lacking in purpose, no longer really caring. one of the whitewash, one of the whitewaters of life we can get sucked into. Verse 12 says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Two more scriptures. I asked the staff this week at um, our staff meeting, we start every, every month, we just we pray together as an entire staff. We pray every week as pa the pastoral team. We pray together for, for you and for uh, everyone here connected to Newport Church and, and anything that we know that's going on. We pray every week. But uh, we, we, get, we pull all the staff in uh, in the first of the month when we, when we, the first prayer meeting that we have together. As, and, and I just, we spend time in worship. And then I, I felt like I was supposed to give this encouragement to our staff first Psalms 87 verse 7 says, both the singers and the players on instruments say, all my springs are in you. All my springs are in you. That, that's a picture of, of what we talk about in John 7, 38 and 39. He who believes in me, the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. My question to the staff and my question to you this morning is, how's your spring? How's your spring? How's your spring? Is it pure? Is it pure? We can go through life, and if we get, if we get um, distracted by the turbulence, we get spun out on certain things, and, 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 and we can actually wind up defiling our own spring. And I, I was telling the staff, I said, listen, there's stuff out there, and like, I, I, I just want to encourage you to keep your heart pure. Keep your spring pure. Don't let doubts, fears, and worries, those scriptures that I gave about how, how to avoid the whitewash is, is to keep your heart in what's true and pure. If there's anything lovely, if there's anything holy, in other words, there might be stuff out there that might be true about people, but I cannot give my heart to it, not because of them, but because of the person I become. Because I am responsible to manage who I am. And so we eat the meat and we spit out the bones. Can we stand together? Jesus says that it's not what goes into a man that defiles a man, but what comes out of his mouth. Matthew chapter 15, verse 11. It's in do not... Not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of his mouth that defiles him. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 13. He's talking to the Pharisees. He says, brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, there's something. I, I don't always know how my spring is until I hear myself say something that's like, uh-oh. Ooh, that came out wrong. Lord, what's in my heart that allowed that to come out of my mouth what's in my heart that allowed that to come out oh God I need you it's our responsibility to guard our spring 
It's our responsibility to guard our spring. Amen? How's your spring? How's your spring? The promise of God is that a river of living water will flow out of you. Amen? A river of living water. Praise God, it's not, <laughs> it's not that like, hey, you've lived a perfect life, you've never done anything wrong, and so now that purity is going to flow out of you. No, 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 that's a religious spirit. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the fact that you've been changed, transformed, dead and resurrected, that the life of Jesus starts to flow out of you. It's for everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. It's the gospel. How are you doing this morning? How's your spring? How's the river of God in your heart, in your life? Amen? Jesus, thank you, Lord. We're just going to take some time and worship. If you need to go, you can go and get your children. If you have children, if you need to go, we totally understand. We're just taking time here this morning. Michael, you just lead us in a song or two of worship. Just go back in. My, my heart for you this morning is just that in my, my preaching, I, I, I pray that no guile has come out. I, I don't want anything that defiles. I, I just want the purity of the Word of God, but I also want to, by faith, inoculate somebody from getting washed out, getting spun out in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let's pray. If you want to respond to God, if, if you know that your spring is not bubbling forth or it's not bubbling pure, just go. It's, it's time to get clean, get him uh, in our hearts because when he comes in our hearts and when we surrender and we lay our lives down, when we die, he comes in and he lives through us and we get purified. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Then, Mike, you can lead us. Thank you, God, for your heart this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your word, your truth, your life. Thank you for the joy of the Holy Spirit, the righteousness, the peace, and the joy of the Holy Spirit. That is your kingdom that leads us and lives in us and lives through us, God. And we desire pure streams. We desire pure rivers, God. We desire pure rivers to flow out of our hearts and out of our bellies in the name of Jesus that the power of the gospel would be in you and not of us. It would be seen to be in you and not of us, God. Not because of our skill. Not because of our history. Because of your skill and because of your history, God. So we lean into you this morning. We lean into you this morning. Ministry team. Uh, specifically pastoral team, if you have any anything to go along with this in terms of ministering out of this, I feel like I'm wrung out. I feel like I'm poured out. I'm empty. But if there is a, a practical call, you guys can just sort that out uh, and, and come and make it. But um, let's worship the Lord. Thanks for listening today. We would like to invite you back to our services starting at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more great content from Newport Church, check out newportchurch.net or visit our YouTube channel. To get the right one, search for Newport Church in Elm, PA.